that it may be brought to pass in our lives. We reach up to Him as we submit and surrender our desires and wants to Him. Secondly, we reach inward, which is what we'll do today. Will we reach inward through repentance, worship, working through our own issues and dilemmas. We commit to forgive others, to see ourselves restored to the place where God can absolutely have His way in our lives. We reach for that place where there is no malice, no bitterness, no grudges. We reach deep down inside and pray with all fervency and sincerity that God would create within me a clean heart and we renew within me a right spirit. We put aside all bias and prejudice. We reach deep and give to God true heartfelt worship because that is what He desires, commands, and is worthy of. Third, we reach outward to our fellow man, the one who is hurting, discouraged, depressed, lonely, confused, those who are wayward and struggling with their faith. We will reach out to the lost and undone, those who feel helpless and hopeless, those who are lost in sin, or even those that are just looking for a friendly, warm place to worship. 2017 will be our year to reach like never before. We will stretch, give, sacrifice, fight, determine to commit ourselves to God and His kingdom, to one another, and to the lost and unchurched. So we'll begin today by reaching inward. And everybody say amen. Second Samuel chapter 11. It came to pass in the morning, verse 14. It came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab, Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite died also. In conjunction with that in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5, Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. I want to preach to you for a few moments this morning, Reach Inward. My subtitle is Matters of the Heart. Everybody say thank God for the Word. Thank you for your patience this morning. God bless you. You may be seated. Joel Richardson said to walk upon the path of our own repentance, we must first abandon the broad road of always focusing on the sins of others. Thomas Watson said, Sin is such a trade that whoever follows is sure to break. What did Achan, he said, gain by his wedge of gold? It was a wedge to cleave asunder his soul from God. What did Judas Iscariot get by his treason? He purchased a halter to hang himself. What did King Ahaz get by worshiping the gods of Damascus? They were the ruin of him and all of Israel, according to Second Chronicles 28. Sin is first comical, and then tragical. It's not a word, but you get the point. It's first comical. It's fun. It's liberating. You're not accountable. You're not responsible anymore. But there reaches a point 
where life can become very tragic just because of sin. Thomas Benton said, Sin is an ill guest, for it always sets its lodgings on fire. I'm calling on all of us here today, everyone at Grace Church. January's been designated to talk to Grace Church, to the heart of Grace Church. I'm calling on all of us to reach deep and deal with and expose to God the matters of our heart that we hold secret, to ask God to forgive us and restore us through the conduit of real, true, heartfelt, sincere repentance. This includes bitterness, forgiveness issues, grudges against and towards family, friends, church members, even pastors and teachers and so on. Can we ask God to forgive us and then pursue reconciliation and restoration? Again, from 1 Kings chapter 15. Because David did that which was right. He was a good man. He was a good man. He did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that God commanded him all the days of his life except one matter of his heart, and it was Uriah the Hittite. David could find no man more loyal to him than Uriah was. But the problem with Uriah was that his blind trust and devotion to David led to his own death. In fact, his, his death warrant was signed by the man in whom he completely trusted, and that was King David. In Second Samuel chapter 11, David made a series of choices that led him to the darkest choices he had ever made in his life. David is now about 50 years of age and has been the king about 20 years. Israel, under his very strong and aggressive anointed leadership, had become a mighty nation. David had, been, had become a visionary of sorts, a powerful warrior, and recognized, even in the Word of God, as a worshiper. But while he stands strongly as Israel's king, there is a pounding of temptation that will soon topple every bit of his resistance. One of the things with temptation is that it cannot be entertained. Every man is tempted, but one must flee the temptation, the Bible said. And looking at David's life, and listen to Pastor very carefully this morning, one finds that there are three avenues that let the enemy into one's life. And this is what happened to David. Number one is polygamy and lust. The cultured norm, the cultured norm of that time was for kings to acquire wives and concubines. But the cultural norm was in violation to God's higher standard in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Yet because David's power, because of his power, no one confronted him on this. His private life was his business, and he surely could not hurt anything, or so it was thought. But the problem was that David's harem grew as his sense of lust grew. And the more a person indulges such an appetite, the more it will increase. The second avenue that lets the enemy into our lives is vulnerability of success. The vulnerability of success. His armies, David, David's armies had brought great security to a city. The captured provinces poured money into resources into David's treasury. 
This money brought honor and success. But success is challenging. It can be so dangerous. And when one starts accessing his holdings, it even becomes more dangerous. Pride, self-indulgence, and little accountability often comes with great success. The third avenue that brought the enemy into David's life was the indulgence in leisure. The last two things I've mentioned runs rampant with American people. The vulnerability of success and the indulgence in leisure. Because of success, when the troops marched off to fight, David marched off to take a nap. This success led to idleness. And he had paid his dues, so to speak. He felt entitled to this moment of leisure. But this idleness mixed up with his lust and with the trappings of success primed him for disaster. God said in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Pride, fullness of bread, and idleness are a deadly trio that will lead you down a path to disaster. David stirred from his nap, and then he went out to walk around on the roof in the evening. Life could not have been better for him. Uh, everything was going well until he logged looks across the way, and now King David becomes a warrior. Once he saw the woman, he stopped dead in his tracks. He lingers about the edge of his balcony. The glance turns into a gaze, the gaze into a stare, and suddenly the king is deformed into a deranged man. His lust causes him to lose all sense of perception and of the danger of decision that is about that he is about to make. He loses his regard for his position and his kingdom, and he loses the fear of future penalty. He inquired of his servants as to who this woman was. And when they told him, David failed to listen to their veiled warning. They said, she is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, David. This woman is the wife of your most loyal man. David's conscience by now is so numbed that the radar doesn't even register the warning. In a very short period of time, she's standing in front of the king. Gravity follows, and David breaks the laws of God and violates the trust of his family and even his most loyal friend. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in his book, Temptation, he described what happened in David's life when he threw caution to the wind and his desire took over. Notice the screen with me this morning. At this moment, Bonhoeffer said, God is quite unreal to us in that moment of temptation. God is quite unreal to us. David loses all reality, and his only desire is for, for the creature is real. The only reality is the devil. Satan does not fill us with hatred of God, but he fills us with forgetfulness of God. The lust thus aroused envelops the mind and will of man. In deepest darkness, the powers of clear discrimination and of decision are taken from us. This is a huge problem with sin, any sin that few really see. I want to say it again. When the devil tempts us, he doesn't cause us to hate God. He just causes us to forget God. 
As a matter of fact, the culture that we're currently living in has lost their fear of what's going to happen to them because of their sin. There's people here this morning, you're not thinking about it. I promised myself I wouldn't do this, but here goes anyway. I want to say with all of my heart and every, every ounce of fiber I have on the inside of me, when Josh Wheeler met his fate a week or so ago, the paramedics, the policemen, even the folks at the hospital said, all he did was pray. Call out to God. Call out to God. Call out to God. The beauty of that, Brother Wheeler, is that he didn't wait to that moment to do it. He spent a lifetime doing that. In his laughter, in his joke telling, his core was about him. His core was about worship. It serves as a living, a living, living, eternal witness and testament and testimony to us. We should live every minute of every day as though it's our last because you never know. Nobody here today can afford to forget about God. You cannot forget about God. Somebody clap your hands this morning and shout yes! I want to remunerate several things that sin does. First of all, sin brings a man low in the eyes of God. The psalmist said, they're all going aside. They're all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Sin, sin brings down the intellect of a man. Paul said, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Sin brings a man down with afflictions. The psalmist said again, they are menished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He poureth contempt upon princes and causeth them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Sin brings a man down with depression. The psalmist said they were uh, there were they in fear where there was no fear. Sin brings a spiritual leth- lethargy. Isaiah said, for the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of a deep sleep and hath closed your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers, hath he covered the vision of all has become unto you as words of a book that is sealed which man delivered to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he says, I cannot for it is sealed. Sin leads to destruction. The psalmist said, Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. The Bible said that sin will ultimately turn you into hell. The psalmist said the Lord is known by judgment which he executes. And the wicked is snared in the work of his own hand. The wicked shall be turned into hell. And all the nations that forget God, I want to say again, the devil won't cause you to hate God. He'll just cause you to forget about God. One of the keys, if not the key, to a personal revival is that when we face up to sin and repent of it, and I ask everybody sitting in the building today, what are you waiting for? I'll say to everybody here today, what are you waiting for? My heart is full of faith and confidence this morning. I believe that there's somebody here right now
that is really desiring to get their heart right with God again and you know who you are. Deep down on the inside, you think about it when you go to bed at night. There's backsliders here tonight if you'll accept the expression. I don't mean to be judgmental or categorize people, but there's people here today who once served God, but deep down on the inside, the devil's called you to forget God, but you know deep down inside that he's still real, that he still loves you, that he still has you in the palm of his hand, and there's something moving, breathing, stirring on the inside of you today that you would love nothing more than for an opportunity to fall into an old-fashioned altar and repent of those sins and say, God, I'm sorry. And the Bible said, if you will, He is faithful and just to forgive them who ask Him. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you've acted. It doesn't matter how you've treated people. There's a God that's faithful and just to forgive all of our sins. I want to encourage somebody today. Run to Him. Run to Him. Hallelujah to God. Everybody clap your hands and shout yes. The thing that makes sin even so much more dangerous and damnable it's shown to us in the Proverbs. The wise man said, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasure. I have to confess here in passing, we're on this 21, day, 21 days of sacrifice where we've asked everyone to give up something that's real special to you, real important to you. One of the things that's on my list is sugar. And I stood yesterday after we got home last night at our coffee pot and that big bowl of sugar sitting right next to it. I'm like, oh God, just one teaspoon, would it hurt? Bread eaten in secret. Sinning in secret is the implication here. Stolen waters, taking things, people, desires that don't belong to you. It's not right for the doers. Bread, eating, secret sin. Doing it in secret is pleasant, it's fun, it's magical. The stolen waters and the secret bread that David consumed by committing adultery with Bathsheba and having her husband Uriah murdered is now confronting him. Now it's time to pay the piper, so to speak. The consequences of sin are bitter. The taste of it lingered on David's lips for the rest of his life. Even the Bible said that he could not just get rid of the matter of Uriah the Hittite. It stayed with him forever. I'll be very transparent with everybody in this building today. There's things I've done in my past that God knows I wish I could go back and do it over. If you're honest here today, so have you. As a matter of fact, there's probably some folks here that did something like that last night. You'll live, uh, you'll live to some point in your life and you'll regret that. Panic gets a hold of the heart of David. He finds out that Bathsheba 
is expecting a child, and it's not Uriah's. It's his. Instead of confessing the sin before God, as he does what a lot of folks do, he puts into motion a cover-up. For the first time in his life, for the first time in David's honest, true, sincere heart of transparency, this is something he just can't fess up to. He tries to sweep it under the rug. He further trashes Uriah's character and integrity when he brings Uriah home from the battlefield. Listen to Pastor this morning. David's plan is to send him home to Bathsheba, and then all the bases will be covered. What David did not factor into his plan was that the, the, the strength of Uriah's character. While Uriah was supposed to be at home with Bathsheba, he never made it that far. He slept on the front porch of the palace with David's servants and guards. When sunrise comes, David discovers what Uriah has done. That he didn't even go home that night. He, he asks, he inquires of the reason. Uriah's answer is stunning. The Bible said in 2 Samuel, And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in open fields. Shall I then go into mine house and to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul lives, I will not do this thing. David is rebuked by the integrity of one of his own soldiers, a man who is so completely committed to the nation, to his king, even to his wife and to his God. David tries one more time that night. He gets Uriah so drunk that he can hardly stand. Then David gently pushes him in the direction of his home. But Uriah proves that there is a more, there's more self-control in his drunken state than David had when he was sober. So now David is faced with a huge dilemma. Nothing can cover up this breach in his life. Nothing except murder. So the plan escalates, and David writes out a death warrant. It came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Uriah is carrying his own death sentence in his hand. He wrote in the letter saying, Set you, Uriah, in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. What kind of demented mind thinks this way, man? Once the death warrant is signed and sealed, the delivery of it comes through Uriah and Joab. David's general gains his instructions, and he obeys his king and sends Uriah into the very teeth of the battle. And as the kingdom advances, lives of men are eclipsed. It came to pass when Joab observed the city. He assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew the valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the men, the servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite died also. In the throes of the battle, Uriah died. Along with Uriah, the Bible states, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David. Along with Uriah, there are other valiant men who died along with him. Listen to Pastor this morning. You are very seldom alone in your transgression. You will take somebody out with you. And oftentimes, it's a spouse, it's children, it's parents. It seems like the sinful one in the home, the folks that fall as a result of it, is family first. And are you willing to put your family at that kind of risk? 
want you to notice the meaning of Uriah's life, and this is no coincidence. Brown Driver and Briggs says that Jehovah's name means Jehovah's my light. Strong said the root of the word indicates that the meaning is light. So when you place them together, you find the meaning is the flame or light of Jehovah. That's what Uriah's name meant. And to a great degree, that's what he was to David, the light of Jehovah. The difficulty with David murdering Uriah was that he was killing the light of the Lord in his own life. He murdered the convicting commandment of God. He destroyed the clean commandments of the Lord. He removed the influence of the strong statutes of the Lord. He silenced the voice of a clear conscience. When Uriah died, there existed a death of conviction. Not only did Uriah die in the battle, but we read where there were other servants of David that died with him. There are times that people have raised the issue of restoration with me. Restoration is always available. But listen to pastor today. Restoration is always available. But there's always damaging effects that sometimes can't be undone. It's kind of like when a person has a heart attack. That means that some, there's some loss of heart muscle is present. No matter how much medicine, treatment, or rehab is available to the patient, the heart very seldom recovers back to the 100% that it was before. Another example is when a person, for example, has been addicted to nicotine for a number of years. He may quit smoking, but there'll never be a full recovery of his lung capacity. Many have discovered that. You get the point here this morning. That's why it's so crucial that spiritual leaders be marked with a prevailing sense of integrity, character, and transparency. The other servants of David I died also. When the light of Uriah's life was snuffed out, the servants that were with him died too. We, when we allow sin to wreck our lives and our relationship with God, there are some other things in our own life that dies as well. Sincerity is squeezed out by regret and love is traded for suspicion. Loyalty is replaced by a consuming love of self. Sacrifice gives in to stubbornness and innocent dies out to guilt. Humility is destroyed by hard-heartedness and kindness takes a back seat to anger. Inner peace will give in to depression. All of these things enter our lives when we kill the voice of conviction. I also would add that even God, even God will have a challenging time trying to restore these things back to your life. The Bible said for us to put on to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I heard something that was to me adorably sweet. It's been a number of months ago. Casey was home playing the piano in her home, and she started playing the song that they sang this morning, His Love, His Blood Ran Red, and so on. Well, Noah started, came up beside her and started singing, so she videoed it and, of course, sent it to Papa and Annie. Okay, there's no other grandparents here today. I get it. (laughs) And instead of saying... I'm in all of you, I'm in all of you, A-W-E. He said, I'm in all of you, A-W-E. And the next line was, I'm in all, A-L-L, of you. 
He thinks that's what the words to that song says. I have a mind to ask our production staff to change that word in that course, and let's all sing it that way with Noah. I am in awe of him, and I am in all of him. So what will you do this morning with that heavy burden of sin? I'm not here to imply that anybody here today is the rank sinner. I'm not even sure I like that term too much. It sounds so harsh and judgmental, and we try to be kind here at Grace Church, but there's folks here today that's carrying a burden of guiltiness, Your conscience talks to you every night when you go to bed. I asked Sister Yvonne Thompson here this morning one time. She's given me permission on several occasions to use her as an illustration, and periodically I do. The lady inspires me every time she walks in the door. Always has. Always has. But sometimes things happen in life, and it is what it is, but... She was away from God for a time. And when we started pastoring here 23 years ago, Sister Murph and I both put several people on our list that we were going after to get them back in church to the best of our ability. She was one of them. But I asked her one time, I said, how did you feel? What did you think about during those years that you were away from God? She said, Brother Murphy, he never left my mind nor thoughts. She said, I knew I wasn't living like I should be living. And sometimes it was hard to go to sleep at night because that voice, voice. And there's people here today. You've made a past number of years, man. You've you've kind of made it a lifestyle that I'm going to run as far from God as I can. Sometimes it's deliberate. Sometimes life happens. Sometimes we get hurt. Sometimes pastor will hurt you. I don't mean to. Sometimes church people hurt you. There's something I want to say real bad right now, and I don't feel the liberty to say it, but I know somebody... It just got hurt real bad. But they survived it spiritually. God help me today. Sometimes church people hurt you. They do. Parents. Siblings. Comes from everywhere. And the devil jumps all over it, man. He'll pound it home. Look how bad you've been mistreated. Look how bad you've been kicked to the curb and thrown under the bus. Church is horrible, man. You need to quit it. Just forget those people. And that's what he does. He don't make you hate God. He makes you forget about him. Forget about God. Forget about church. 
Forget about all that Sunday morning business. But deep down on the inside, there's a voice that cries out. That voice planted itself in the hearts and minds of men with the first two brothers on this planet. The minute Cain killed his brother Abel, that voice kicked in, buddy. And God made it clear, I'm not going to judge you by killing you. I'm going to let you live to a ripe old age so that every moment, every minute, every hour of every day, your brother's blood will cry out to you. His innocence, his purity, his worship, his praise, his prayer, his commitment, his devotion will cry out to you. And there's people here today that hear the voice of your Abel crying in your ear. I'm asking you today to come back to God. What are you waiting for? Please come back. Reach. Folks, stand with me this morning. Somebody reach deep down inside this morning. There's no thing, there's no person, there's no circumstance, no trial, no hardship. No quantity of bitterness is worth going to hell over this morning. What about your, your Uriah today? What about the matter of your heart? I don't care how good you are. Yea, I say unto thee, I am God who calls out to you today. Would you heed my word? Would you hear my voice? Do you feel my hand tugging gently at your heart? I'm calling you unto me. I want you to be my child. I want to bless you. I want to protect you. I want to give things into your life. Come unto me if you have labored. And you're burdened and I will give you rest. I will lift off of you the yoke of guilt, the yoke of sin. If you will ask me, I will forgive you. I want to be your God. I want to be the king in your life. I will never betray you. I will never lie to you. I will never lead you down a path of evil. Trust in my word. Trust in my spirit. I am God and I fail not, neither do I lie. Come unto me, my blood beckons you. My blood will cleanse you. My blood will give you an opportunity to be born again. Come unto me. I am your God and I love you, says the Lord. Anybody in the building? God bless you, folks. God bless you, folks. Come on, Grace Church. Anybody in the building? Anybody in the house? 
come take care of the matter of your heart right now. If you want to kneel, if you want to stand, whatever you feel to do, pastor, staff, help me this morning. Come on, Grace Church. This isn't a time to fellowship with one another. It's a time to pray. If you want to kneel, if you want to stand, you feel comfortable to do what you want to do this morning. But let's gather in around the front, all of our guests, all of our guests this morning. Brother Phelps, help me this morning. Do what you feel.